Hey there, this is Daniel Weisfield. I'm the founder of Three Pillar Communities. We are a mobile home park investors. If you're interested in investing in recession-proof real estate and building personal wealth while doing something socially good, providing high-quality housing, I'd encourage you to listen to my good friend Sam Newell's podcast, which is Recession-Proof Real Estate. Welcome to the Recession-Proof Real Estate Investing Podcast. Join your host, Sam Newell, as he educates you on how to make profitable, low-risk real estate investments that will cash flow through any economy. Hear interviews with the top real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the country to find out what they've learned and implemented since the 2008 recession. With over 10 years in real estate investing, it has become Sam's goal to help others invest for double-digit returns, but to also stay safe and not get caught in the next downturn. Tune in and become recession-proof. Thanks so much for being on the Recession-Proof Real Estate Investing Podcast. Jeez, we Thank met. Thank you for having was it, me. <laughs> was it just a couple of days ago? You called me about a mobile home park that I have for sale in California. That's right. Yeah. So I we talked and we have some very similar backgrounds, ideas, and we're both investing in multifamily, so I'm excited to have you on. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the opportunity to join the podcast. Yeah, and for our listeners, I already introduced you, but man, you literally wrote the book on helping to solve the affordability, the housing affordability gap in California. We're facing that in Utah, like I was just telling you before we jumped on. Idaho. So it's really interesting. And the thing that impressed me is that you saw a problem, you realized, hey, I actually, beyond helping the California state government attack this problem as an investor, I can help attack this problem as well by providing high quality, affordable rentals. And that's, it's funny that you actually wrote that down. And it's in your bio that you sent to me because my partners and I have the exact same mantra there's no win-lose in multifamily or that doesn't have to be. You can provide an amazing place for people to live that they absolutely love and still make great money as an investor. A hundred percent. And that, that's what motivates me. Well, let's talk about that for a sec. Tell me a little bit more about that and, and why that motivates you and, and how you've been able to accomplish that. Sure. I guess maybe I'll, I'll step back a little bit to what you're, when you're speaking about writing the book on sure. how to make housing more affordable. And then I'll talk about how I ended up starting this mission-driven investment company. Cool. So I was fortunate a few years back to be working at a company called McKinsey & Company. It's a you know, big global management consulting firm. We help a lot of kind of top companies and governments do strategy work. And as a part of that, I had the chance to lead a research project basically looking at California and saying, hey, we know this is one of the most expensive housing markets in the world. Mm -hmm. Let's quantify the problem and try and figure out what the solutions would be. So I spent several months, I had a team of economists working with me. I had you know, GIS mapping staff. I had analysts. I had a lot of resources to try and really tackle the problem. We came up with this whole analytical framework and wrote a great report. Um, and basically came to the conclusion that the problem is undersupply pretty basic. You got a lot of demand for housing, right. not enough supply, so prices have skyrocketed. And if we're going to tackle the problem at scale, we can't keep doing what we've always been doing. We can't keep just follow this post-World War II model of building single-family houses one house at a time with a hammer and nails and hope right. to solve the problem that way. We've got to build a lot more supply and it's got to be dense or it's got to be built in a different way to make it cheaper, manufactured in a factory. And then I realized kind of this is 
one of the most pressing social issues of our time. Like yeah. everyone, people I talk to just routinely, one of the top things on our mind is, hey, I can't afford the rent or I wish I could buy a place, but I can't afford it. Right. I think it's a major issue that can have a ton of social impact if you actually can help provide really high quality housing that's affordable. Mm-hmm. And that's what motivated me to, after writing this big report to say, hey, let's actually go do something about it. So I started my company, Three Pillar Communities, in 2017 in order to go provide high-quality manufactured housing, so focusing on the mobile home park space. And that's what we've been doing since 2017. Awesome. Awesome. And that's a great – and by the way, I love it. I've seen the same exact thing in Utah, Idaho, other states where I've invested. There is a a lack of quality affordable housing. And housing in general, but quality affordable housing. There's a lot of slumlords out there, but there's also just a lack of housing in general. But mobile home parks have been in my family since my grandpa, post-World War II. He retired from the Air Force uh, after Vietnam, or not after Vietnam, after Korea. Didn't Mm -hmm. able to go to Vietnam anyways. Bought a couple mobile home parks as a retired vet in Portland, Oregon. And who also had a... Your grandpa had mobile home parks, right? Yeah, you see, we share that family connection. And I think it really speaks to the power of the American dream. Your really? grandmother would come out of the armed forces as a vet and save his nickels and become an investor and make a living that way. So my family, same kind of story. Um, my family immigrated to the U.S. Uh, from Israel in the late 60s. Okay. And my, my mother was born on a chicken farm in Israel. My grandfather was born on a chicken farm in Israel. He's actually, he's still kicking. He's 88 years old. I saw him today at his house in California. And he's a real just classic immigrant entrepreneur. Came to the U.S., worked really hard as a car mechanic. He'd buy wrecked cars, bring them home, fix them up in his backyard and sell them. Saved up enough money to rent a garage and open a body shop. And eventually saved enough money to buy a mobile home park in the early 80s. And they saved more money, bought another one. So I grew up helping him in the summers, go to the mobile home park, mow the lawns, paint the fences, yep. do that kind of work hands-on. I grew up around the business, and it was decades later when I realized, there, you know, this isn't just a mom-and-pop uh, business. That's a, that's a great way to do it. You can make a lot of money as a mom-and-pop, and you can yeah. provide something really important that people need. But I also saw the opportunity to scale it up as a professional mobile home park operator. Yeah, and I feel like there's – we'll get to that question here in a second. I feel like there's a lot of um, mom-and-pop still in the business, but – quite a few very professional companies taking on these parks and really buying these from the mom and pops that like my grandpa and your grandpa have owned them for 20, 30 years and finally yeah. at a point where they can't take care of them. My earliest memory visiting a park was a home that got trashed and mm-hmm. I my grandpa was the nicest guy. Couldn't evict people, my, drove my grandma crazy. She did not <laughs> see like bookkeeper that was harassing him to evict people and he just felt bad for people wanted to help people and yeah mirrorless memory is just tearing out old nasty mattresses throwing them in the burn pile and burning literally these people that were like six months behind rent they just up and left in the middle of the night and and but they still made great money my grandpa died in, in 2003 from cancer and mm-hmm. i think five or six years later he let he had left my grandma two parks and She's still living off of that money today. So what is that? 17 years later, she's still living off the mobile home park money. And wow. um, what a legacy to leave your family. So what's your earliest yeah. um, memory at these trailer parks? I think it's probably learning how to drive, probably at age six or seven, <laughs> on a golf cart at my grandfather's park. And he, had a, he owned a 
call a mobile home park called Meadowbrook Estates in Yakima, Washington, which we still no own, way. still manage. And, you know, you get around a lot there. of mobile home parks. What's that? My family lives in Yakima. In Yakima? Okay, well, we actually just bought a second park there a couple of years ago. I love, we're, we're bringing in 70 new manufactured homes. It's actually been a real yeah. focus market for us. Yeah, wow. we, we love the Yakima market. But to just go on a little digression, this is exactly the kind of market we love investing in. Okay. A market that's not sexy, doesn't have a lot of name recognition. You're not going to see a lot of institutional investors there, but it's the kind of second tier or third tier market that has great economic fundamentals. Right. Yakima, it's, you know, it's, it is a center of agricultural production, exporting apples and cherries and other high value crops. Treetop um, apple juice. Exactly. Exactly. A lot of advanced manufacturing there actually for aircraft and other industries. Uh-huh. And they just built a new medical school and they've got so hospitals and medicine. It's a great economy that has a lot of population growth, uh, a lot of jobs that are attracting people, and not a lot of new housing supply being built. A year or two ago, the apartment vacancy rate in Yakima was like under 1%. It was like almost as tight a market as Seattle or some of these other kind of first-tier markets. And we observed that, owning this park in Yakima, and made a decision to buy a second park there, which was 80 units, 10 of them occupied, and then 70 vacant lots. Wow. And we're making a big push over the next few years to bring 70 new homes and basically develop a new mobile home park to meet that demand for affordable housing in Yakima. Very cool. Yeah, they have a serious uh, shortage. My, my brother-in-law actually just moved to Boise, but he was a police officer there for the last three years. Oh, wow. And, That's uh, great. <laughs> I'm sure he knows the parks and they have crime issues in Yakima, but just like anything, it, you know, any property we've ever owned, if you take care of it and, and control your tenants, then... You know, his biggest complaint is the owners sometimes just don't care. And that's 100%. what we've experienced as well. So I'm curious yeah. how your investment's going in Yakima. It seems like it must be doing well if, if you bought another one. It's, yeah, it's doing great. And actually, just to um, elaborate on your point there about law enforcement and proactive management, we, unfortunately, we see this all the time. There are a lot of slumlords in our space. Yep. A lot of people who just collect the rent checks and hardly visit the property. And if that's your management style... Of course, you're going to end up getting blight on the property. You're going to get neglect. You might get criminal elements moving in. If I'm a drug dealer, where am I going to look to set up? I'm going to set up in a place where I know the landlord is not paying attention. Yeah. So those are a lot of the stereotypes around mobile home parks. Yep. And that's our buying opportunity. We buy parks like that where the landlord has been checked out. Uh, They don't want to manage it actively. And we've got a whole management team set up to buy parks and do those kinds of turnarounds and really create great communities that people are proud to live in. And we do that by paving the roads, improving the street lighting, creating neighborhood watch programs, helping tenants. We give out free paint so tenants can paint their homes, which just oh, cool. spruces up the whole appearance. And you start, you create this tidal wave yeah. where all of a sudden the community becomes a place people care about. And if there are any of those kind of bad elements, they get the message pretty quick that, you know, right. either we evict them or they realize this isn't a place where I'm going to be able to conduct these activities anymore. And they move right. on. Well, so, I don't you know, know if you've ever yeah. considered this, but we just bought a hotel in Farmington, New Mexico, and mm-hmm. it's basically, if you were to transplant Yakima to New Mexico, that's Farmington. What does that mean? It, just the layout of the city, the, the types of people, the, the workers, the labor force, the mm-hmm. size. It feels like Yakima to me when I drive in there. Um, oh, interesting. Great, great little town, a lot of blue collar jobs, a lot of manufacturing and a lot of oil as well that you mm-hmm. have, a lot of agriculture. But we bought this hotel for $100,000 cash. Wow. And wow. it sold nine years ago for 3.2. Basically, they allowed the, 
exactly what you're saying. They allowed the criminals and, and things to move in, didn't do anything, turn the blind eye. All we started doing was we bought it. We started inviting the police over. And I don't know if you've had this idea before, but we said, hey, we're just going to buy you lunch like five days a week, six days a week. And we started asking the police officers, just hang out with us and eat lunch. And guess what? We didn't have to do anything. We didn't have to evict anyone. They evicted themselves. They got out of there so fast. And before we bought it, we had drug running. We had cartel in there. We had human trafficking. We bought it. And within one month, all of that was gone. Yeah, there's a lot of things you can do that's really yeah. not that hard to make it a nice place. I, I think I'm going to steal your idea. We, we try and build good relationships with local law enforcement, and we've done that in a lot of places. But the idea of uh, buying lunch or morning coffee and donuts and doing it every day, yep. I'm going I'm to copy that one. You can take it a step further. My good friend Maureen um, in Atlanta, she's actually set up a police substation in some of her apartments. So she'll provide internet, monster energy drinks, donuts and a nice comfy couch or a place for the police to come and do meetings. Sometimes if they're on, on the job on the other side of town, they don't want to have to drive back to do their paperwork or to take a break. And so she's set up successfully a few substations and we're going to do the same thing in our hotel. We pay for it. The cops can just come hang out and guess what? You get a free patrol car parked there multiple times a day and you get cops walking around, hanging out. I'm even going to put video games in for them for when they're on break and, and they're stoked for it. So um, that's cool. in the plans as well. Great. I, I am going to copy that. This is, this is great. I, I thought I was just going to come on as a guest at Interrazi, but taking these ideas back to our business. So thank you. There we go. I want to hear how they work. I'll let you know. Cool. Sorry. Let's get back to, I interrupted you. You were talking about, let's see, your earliest memory was driving. Oh, yeah. I was just talking about visiting that park in Yakima as a kid. Right, right. My grandfather put me as a six-year-old on a golf cart saying, hey, go drive this thing. I think yeah. I hit a hit a fire hydrant, and I don't oh, think no. I ever heard the end of it. My grandfather still harasses me about it, and he's 88. <laughs> it's just to say that these parks are in my blood, and I've been around it a long time, and it feels really cool at this point in my career to be able to professionalize the management of parks and feel really good knowing that I'm really – creating a better place for people to live. Well, that's awesome. And, and tell me why mobile home parks? Did you already always know you wanted to do mobile home parks and, and why that versus maybe C-class, D-class, multifamily? It's a good question. So I really like the mobile home park business model. And I, and I know you're a multifamily guy, right? So we could debate the pros and cons about what you like in your asset class and what I like in mine. Yeah. But to me, there are a few things that we love about mobile home parks that are really different than apartments. One of them is the, the basic fact that we own the land and the infrastructure. Tenants own their own homes. Mm -hmm. That's the basic model. Tenants own their own homes and they pay us lot rent every month, uh, basically to rent the dirt. Mm -hmm. And that has a few effects. So one of those effects is we have really sticky long-term tenants. Mm -hmm. Right, because people own their own homes, they're homeowners, and so our average tenancy is, I calculated it recently, it's about nine years across the portfolio. Wow. Well, so isn't it really, really means, expensive to move them as well? Exactly. Yeah, and maybe by the way, maybe I should clarify for people who don't know, mm -hmm. when I'm talking about mobile home parks, what are we even talking about? Let me just insert that parent and just define terms here. So um, I'm not talking about recreational vehicles or RVs that have four wheels and a steering wheel. When I'm talking about mobile homes, I'm talking about factory-built homes, typically two bedrooms or three bedrooms, two baths, 800 square feet for a single wide, up to 1,400, 1,500 square feet for a double wide. 
It's mm-hmm. built in a factory. It's shipped to a community, and then it's installed on a semi-permanent basis. And most of the time, once they're installed, they never move again. And a lot of people might be surprised. They think mobile home. They might think of an old tin can. Mm-hmm. And that's back in the 50s and 60s. They were built to a cheaper construction standard than a single-family home would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nowadays, these things are really nice. You've got yeah. comp shingle roofs, wood siding, granite countertops, stainless steel appliances. We can produce really nice you know, three-bedroom, two-bath homes that cost you know, roughly, you know, $90,000 to the end customer. And, and they're uh, built in a controlled environment. So that at, some could argue it's even better quality in some aspects. Exactly. There's, there's quality control of the factory and it's regulated by, you know, state government and federal government, you know, you know mm-hmm. the Department of Housing and Urban Development to make sure these things are built to a, a safety code and a quality standard. So that's what we're talking about here. And so tenants own their own home. They rent a lot underneath it. For that reason, they stay for a really long time. During recessions, we tend to have very high rent payment rates mm-hmm. because people want to, they own a home. They've got skin in the game. They're invested. You know, if they're evicted for non-payment, it means not only do they have to find a new place to live, but they have to find someone to buy their home right. or they'd have to give up their home and just take a total loss. Yeah. So our tenants have a lot of skin in the game. And then the 08, 09 recession, you know, our park stayed full with no concession on rents. You really managed to slide through that. And currently, during the current coronavirus crisis, I'm very fortunate to say that for April rents, we're at 98% rent collection. So far for us, it's through really active management, it's been a non-event so far. Good for you. Um, Let's repeat what you just said through April. And and by the way, I'm going to email you on about May 10th and ask what your collection rate is. But Great, April, please do. Through coronavirus, you're at 98%, which is fantastic. I would say yeah. I know quite a few multifamily operators, and they're in the 90s. They're, I would say, 90 to 95%. My rentals, I'm 100%, but I got wow. ahead of this way ahead and said, hey, rent is still due. But yeah, we'll, it'll be very interesting to see how May is. And I definitely want to check with you and add that to the show notes and let people know because I think. This is one of the most recession-proof asset classes that you could possibly own. I think that's right. I think that's right. And I think as in, so when we're talking about the differences between mobile home park and multifamily, I think that there are a lot of similarities in terms of when you're operating at that lower price point on the rental spectrum, there's always going to be a lot of demand for the product because everyone needs a place to live, no matter what's going on in the economy. Mm-hmm. And at least in the markets where we operate, there's a real shortage of affordable housing. So supply and demand really tilts in our favor and there's basically no new supply being built, right? There's very few new mobile home parks being built. We have a a product where tenants have skin in the game. They stick around no matter what's going on in recessions. And from an operations and maintenance perspective, it's easier for us than managing multifamily because we don't own the individual housing units. Tenants own their own home. So if there's a light bulb that goes out or a toilet that needs to get plunged, that's the tenant's responsibility. And our responsibility is taking care of the common areas and creating a community that people want to live in. So those are the top few reasons we like mobile home park investing. No, I love that. And I love the idea of not having to do maintenance on the interior of a unit because that'll break the bank right there. If you get a few bad renters in, you've got to tear out the whole just in the even in the hotel we we have to deal that with that on a constant basis so that is i think one of the biggest reasons people get into mobile home parks is 
They don't own any of the homes. They have to take care of the exterior and that's it. And they like the less, the less brain damage that, that comes with that. Yeah, that's right. Cool. So that's why you're in mobile home parks. There's, there's some very big differences between mobile home parks and maybe C-class multifamily, but I think there's one topic or one item that's the same no matter what. As an investor, what I've noticed is that the recession-proof investors I've interviewed, they had large amount of units and mm -hmm. they didn't have A-class, but they didn't have D-class assets. They had mm -hmm. very nice, updated, clean parks or facilities or apartment complexes where if I'm living in an A-class, I can move down to a B-class and still feel good about it. But if I have a trashed B-class or C-class that's unkept, management's terrible, you're going to struggle with vacancy. Tell me a little bit about your parks and how you guys are able to keep those at least clean, nice looking. And what's your goal there? Are, are you, is your goal to be the nicest A-class park? or how do you attack that aspect of the business? That's a great question. And can I approach it a little bit philosophically first and, and yeah. then jump into the details? Sure. So I would say, look, we've bought 17 mobile home parks in the past two years. Okay. So yeah. we've been very acquisitive. And a lot of people ask me, how have you done that? Pricing is really high. It's hard to find deals. Some people tell me, I can't find a single deal. How have you found 17 deals in the past two years? And the answer is, we try to look at every deal with fresh eyes and understand, do the economics here make sense? We, we try not to be biased by things like, does it have a beautiful swimming pool and a beautiful leasing office? Or is it in like a, a, a fancy location? We try to just look deal by deal. Do the economics of this deal make sense? Is this an investment we want to put our own money and hold for the next 30 years? Is this an investment we want to put our investors' money in? And what that means is we're, we're pretty creative and flexible. I, will pay a premium for kind of class A assets in a great location that I really believe in. I, I'm very much open to that. On the other hand, we'll also do rough, ugly assets in great locations <laughs> where we see a lot of fundamental dem demand for the product. We'll invest across the quality spectrum, mm -hmm. and I'm not averse to investing in class A assets, especially, I think, if you compare a, a, a class A mobile home park to a class right. A apartment building, a class A mobile home park, your monthly space, just to paint the picture, we might have a senior mobile home park in a market like San Diego. Sunny location, it's gonna look like a subdivision, it's gonna have swimming pools, it's gonna have tennis courts, it's gonna have all beautiful double wide homes. Right. You know, it looks really nice, it's gonna maybe a gated community. Space right there might be $700, $800 a month, you know, maybe 900 or 1,000. You have tenants there who own their own homes, they're really bought in. So that asset is gonna be recession proof. This is a great asset to own. We do less of those deals because they're really expensive to buy. <laughs> Word has yeah. gotten out on the street that these are great deals to own, and so you've got a lot of institutional capital chasing them. Absolutely. So I'd say our focus point is more like what you're saying, B-class and C-class assets mm -hmm. that we buy and improve, and we've got a whole playbook on how we do that, make it a place people are really proud to call home, and then hold long-term. And it doesn't have to be the A-class nicest place. Our hotel has been the worst hotel in, in New Mexico the last 10, 15 years, or in Farmington. It was mm -hmm. the nicest hotel for 20 years. All, our only goal is to have it extremely clean and professional and nice, but still one of the most affordable hotels in Farmington. And right. just looking at the numbers, we'll be making 
crazy amount of money cash flowing with this hotel. It doesn't have to be the nicest. Neither do our apartments we just bought in Cincinnati. They don't have to be the nicest, but it's going to be the cleanest apartment complex, friendliest management that these tenants will encounter. And when we do that, it's easy to keep occupancy very high. It doesn't have to be the best deal and it doesn't have to be an A-class. As long as for the money, they feel really good about living there. A hundred percent. You know, what you're saying makes me think of uh, something I tell my partner quite often, which is there are a lot of snobs in real estate. And those kind of people sometimes get some ego satisfaction out of owning a park with a pool and a clubhouse and a tennis court. (laughs) And, you know, so sometimes they'll ask me about a deal and they'll say, hey, what kind of amenities are at that deal? And I think about a park that we bought in the Seattle market Mm -hmm. uh, in Renton, Washington, killer location. It's like 15 minutes from downtown Seattle, providing workforce housing to families that really need it. They're thrilled to live there. When we bought it, rents were like just right around $500 a month. Uh And this is in a market Seattle where, you know, if you're renting an apartment, you're paying like minimum $2,000 for apartment rent. And it was totally neglected by the prior owner. And so we had, we were talking to somebody, they asked me, so what amenities are at your Renton park? And I was just thinking, how about cleanliness? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. like, like, like cleanliness and law and order is a great amenity, right? If, if the prior owner did not have that. And we also, we paved the roads, we fixed the streetlights, we pull out the weeds, we built a community garden, we built a new front entry sign. All these things that just signify, hey guys, this might not be the most attract, the most expensive housing in town, but it's a place you can be proud to call home, a place you're proud to raise a family. Absolutely. And so I, I totally agree with you that kind of bringing dignity to affordable housing uh, can be a huge amenity in itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Hey, we skipped over a question. Let, let's derail. Mm. I've got a few more questions. You were in the market in 2008. The whole goal of my podcast is to learn how people got through 2008. So tell me a little bit about that. Then we'll get back to the next question, which I want to continue. But Let's go back to 2008 and rewind. And I want to know how you guys got through and maybe mistakes you made or you saw other people made make that didn't get through 2008 as quite as well as you. Sure. So yeah, we did get through it and we did very well. I'm very thankful for that. And I would say the biggest thing that helped us was structural. It's not about, it wasn't about smart management. The biggest thing that helped us is structural, meaning we are the cheapest housing option out there in the market. Mm-hmm. So when people can't afford class A apartment, they might move down to class B or class C. And if they can't afford a class C apartment, they can move down to a mobile home park. If you can't afford your single family home anymore, you can move down to a mobile home park. Yeah. Mobile home parks are the single biggest source of unsubsidized affordable housing in the U.S. So, you know, and we are, you could call it counter-cyclical or even acyclical. Mm-hmm. Basically, no matter what's going on, like there, there is demand for the product when you're the cheapest right. product in the market. Yeah. So I would, it's not that we had no turnover during the recession. We had certain tenants who could no longer afford rent and they had to move on. But there was always you know, a waiting list of people who mo- were moving on from other more expensive options and wanted to move into our parks. And that's, again, one of the fundamental reasons why I love our asset class. From a management perspective, kind of one thing I wish we had done different Mm-hmm. Uh, this is kind of specific to mobile home parks. I don't know how applicable it will be for you as a multifamily guy or kind of some of the other listeners out there. But like I said, in mobile home parks, the basic business model is we own the land, tenants own their own homes. Usually that goes great for the reasons I laid out before. But sometimes when you've got a recession and people can't afford to live in the park anymore, they end up 
having to give up their homes, and those homes can get pulled out or poached by right. uh, other operators. And so we had a problem with a lot of our homes getting poached. That ended up creating vacant lots that are hard to fill. Yeah. And I wish we had been more proactive about having a pool of capital set aside to buy up these homes and operate them as rentals throughout the downturn yeah. and then sell off that inventory when the economy picked up. Absolutely. I have a friend that just did that. Actually, our, our buddy Michael Young just bought quite a few homes and he's seller financing them to people. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, while you don't want to own a lot of those, and maybe explain to our listeners why most good operators don't own a lot of the homes in their parks. Sure. So to me, if you start doing a lot of rentals in your parks, you lose the whole beauty of the mobile home park operating model. Yep. I, I said it earlier, why do I like this space? I like it because we own the land and we don't own homes. Yep. And that means we have tenants who are really bought into the community as homeowners. They stay long-term and they do their own maintenance. And so if we end up buying a lot of homes and renting them out, we're basically operating at that point like a, a class D apartment building, apartment bu a horizontal apartment building with oftentimes older housing stock and you've got tenants who kind of cycle in and out. And if I wanted to do that, I'd rather just be in the multifamily business. It's pretty different from why I want to be doing mobile home park investing. And so what you're saying is maybe through the recession, a great business model or something to implement into your business model would get ahead of the people that are possibly needing to move out or can't afford to be there anymore so that those homes don't get poached to these other companies and um, have the money set aside and be ready to take care of those, maybe those homeowners, but also possibly buy them from the homeowners and keep them in your part because it is hard to fill an empty space with a new mobile home during a recession. 100%. Awesome. That's a really good tip for any mobile home park owners listening to this podcast. I'm actually going to put that in the show notes as one of the top. I think that's a great tip. I don't think most people would even think about that. That's really valuable. So let's move on. We're, we've talked about how to become a little bit more recession proof. We talked about some differences between C-class and mobile home parks. One of, the, one of the questions that you brought up that we could talk about is one of the, what are the biggest levers you can pull to create value and be a good mobile home park owner? Mm-hmm. Well, do you mind if I get on my soapbox for 30 seconds? Uh, hey, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right. I got, I've got a podcast audience. So yeah. uh, let me get on my soapbox for 30 seconds. I think the single biggest lever we can pull as mobile home park owners in order to upgrade our parks is upgrading the housing stock and getting these obsolete 1950s, 1960s sardine can homes out of our parks and bringing in brand new beautiful manufactured homes. And, and I just, this is a business imperative. And I also, to me, it's something I take kind of personally. The whole mobile home park business rose up right after World War II, right? The GIs were coming home, mm -hmm. big population growth, and we need to provide lots of affordable housing. We need, had to do it fast and cheap. Right. So they built all these you know, homes and factories and put them in parks. And they served their purpose, but they are obsolete, man. I, I go to parks sometimes and I still see these 1950s, 1960s yep. single wide homes with two, two inch by two inch framing and poor yeah. insulation and aluminum wiring. And they're an eyesore and they're not safe. They don't meet current safety standards, right? You've got asbestos, you've got lead paint, you've got wiring that can catch on fire. And we invest long-term. I don't want to be sitting here in the year 2040, the year 2050, um, still visiting these parks and seeing homes that are 100 years old at that point that were never meant to last more than 30, 40 years. So I really think the biggest thing we can do to 
change the public perception of manufactured housing is get those old homes out and bring in brand new homes, which are built in a factory to, to great standards. They look just like single family houses. Right. They're safe, they're energy efficient, they're attractive, and they provide really good affordable home ownership opportunities for our residents. I think that's great. And, and I agree with you. And, and one thing I learned from a mutual friend of ours, Kevin Buck, mm -hmm. if I'm looking to buy a mobile home park, potentially, I may not be able to do that because some of the slips or some of those lots are actually too skinny to bring in a new home. So is that something you've run into? There are always ways to be creative. Okay. We would love to bring in double wide manufactured homes to most of our lots. Okay. You know, that's a home that's, you know, roughly 28 feet wide by 60 feet long, three bed, two baths, really spacious. Families yeah. love buying them. If a double wide won't fit, we can often fit a single wide. Okay. And we've gotten really creative with, we've designed, we've actually custom designed single wides working with the factories in order to meet the needs of our customers. Oh, wow. There's actually something else that, I don't know, if you're pulling out highlights or show notes, I think this yeah. is something that people might learn from. As I think in order to be a good mobile home operator, you also need to be a mobile home dealer. Okay. I think it's really important to be able to work directly with the manufacturers to design the right spec for okay. that, that people in your community will want. And so we've got some urban parks in California and also in Oregon where the lots are small, right? Because it's in an urban environment, not, right. a lot of, not a lot of room. And we're pulling out the old 1950 single wides and it's only got room to put another single wide on there. And I want to meet the needs of a workforce kind of family demographic. So I want to be able to fit at least two and ideally three bedrooms into a little single wide. And so we've done custom floor plans fitting in three. We did a three bedroom, one bath model, which is rare. The factory had never done that before. And then really did a lot of interviews with our customers to understand, do they want carpets or do they want vinyl flooring? Are they going to actually use a dishwasher? Or do they do the dishes by hand? Let's save the space on a dishwasher. So we did those customer interviews wow. and custom designed single wides to fit uh, to fit in our spaces. Man, that's impressive. Uh, that's really neat. And so you are a, a dealer now, or you have a dealership? Yeah, yeah. I spent a lot of time on that. We are licensed to manufactured home dealers in four states. I have two people full time just running my dealership. I think we sold twenty one or twenty two houses in in the first quarter of twenty twenty. So wow. it's been, we've been very active selling homes. I th like I said, I think it's the single biggest lever we can pull to upgrade the real estate. Very cool. That's neat, man. I, I think that's great. And, and that was one of my big concerns is I've had buddies want me to get into mobile home parks with them. And I said, I, I just don't understand the space enough. I really understand multifamily, but I, I love it because that's, that was my, one of my biggest concerns is you, you can't, I, I wouldn't want to buy a mobile home park and only be able to have those old 1950s, 60s, 70s homes on it and be stuck with those. Because just like you said, that's not a viable business option for the next 20, 30 years. And, and I buy a long-term as well. So I really like that. And that's a great highlight for, for today's show. Get creative, um, do custom floor plans, three bedroom, one bath. That sounds fantastic. Has it worked out pretty well for you then in, in a couple parks? Absolutely, absolutely. I would say it's been, one of the most satisfying aspects of what we're doing. You know, every time you see a family walk into their new home for the first time, and oftentimes they were renting an apartment before, and now to be able to own this home, uh, it's like a dream come true for a lot of these families. So that's, it's one of the most satisfying things that we do. That's so cool. um, and I would say, generally speaking, selling new homes in our parks is break even. 
it's not usually a profit center. Usually we're doing it in order to upgrade the real estate, upgrade the appearance of the park. But there are a few locations where there is significant profit to be made selling homes in our parks. Like some of our parks in California, our parks in the Seattle market, we might have our all-in cost on a home might be 85 or 90,000 and we can sell it for 120, 130, 140,000. Okay. So, cool. so there are some profitable markets for home sales. Cool, very cool, very cool. Geez, anything else on that topic? I uh, know, I don't think so. I could talk about it all day, but I don't want to bore your listeners. No, no, yeah, no problem. I'm just as far as a mobile home park owner and investor, you've done a lot, you've worked on the housing gap. What's been one of the most satisfying things that you've done other than helping the California work on that? It, it sounds like that mm-hmm. was a pretty proud moment for you, but what's something that's really brought a lot of satisfaction to your life and, and job being a, a mobile home park owner and, and investor? I think probably our Foothills solar community deal that we completed in California a couple of years back mm-hmm. is probably the deal that I'm proudest of and has given me the most satisfaction. That's a, it was a 130 space mobile home park in tertiary market in Northern California outside Chico. Mm-hmm. And the location is called Butte Valley, California. And it was operated by a mom and pop owner. Mm-hmm. And because it's in a rural location, it did not have city water and city sewer. So it operates its own well, and the sewage is treated on a wastewater treatment plant that's on site. Wow. And we saw the opportunity to buy this park, and I'd say a lot of investors wouldn't, they would have turned up their nose at it. There's kind of tertiary location, you gotta deal with a, you gotta deal with a wastewater treatment plant. It, it definitely needed, needed a refresh. It wasn't the prettiest thing to look at because of the way it had been managed. And we bought the park. We saw the opportunity there, and we said, "Hey, you know what? It's on well. It's on it's on a wastewater treatment plant. Could we make this kind of an eco community? Actually, put it on solar, build a solar power plant on site, and make it almost an off-grid, self-sustaining community with 130 manufactured homes in it." Um, and that's what we did. We bought it. We invested a little over a million dollars and built a 600 kilowatt solar power plant which has amazing, it's a really feel-good investment in terms of reducing greenhouse gas emissions and doing something good for our planet and also boosting NOI and creating great tax benefits for our investors that all get passed through. And we've upgraded the community. We've brought in new homes. And this is in in the area that was impacted by the really devastating forest fires in California about a year and a half ago. The Camp Fire burned a lot of housing really just up the road from where this park is. And so we've been able to provide housing to a lot of people who lost their homes elsewhere. And it just, it's just a really cool deal in terms of being a total home run for our investors financially, but we'll also do something good for the environment and providing good affordable housing to our residents. Wow, that's neat. That's really neat. We're actually considering putting solar on our hotel because our darn utility costs are so high and we've definitely considered it. It's, I think that's, yeah, really cool. So, so you're able to make it more of a green community. You put um, solar panels on it, or that's cool. Mm-hmm. What about so so get so get you've probably looked into this, but if you're thinking about doing rooftop solar for your hotel, yeah, you know, get on it because the federal tax credit is declining every year. Yep. Every year, that's, yeah, it's a bummer. It's too bad, but I think we'd still save money. I think I was looking at it. We would save. It, it was only like seventy-five bucks a month. But still, it's a 96-room hotel, and we have a restaurant, and two bars, and a dance hall, and it'd be fun not to have a, a giant electric bill when we get it yeah. fully operational. So, 
Exactly. Um, plus, I'm a fly fisherman, and, and I love, uh, I, I'm not into uh, heavy into global warming, but I would love to reduce pollution, and that'd be a fun way to do it, especially on the properties we own. So, well, talk yeah. about, um, we talked about coronavirus, how that's affecting your, you're at 98% for April. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm curious about how your business is being affected, your employees, if you're still looking for acquisitions, how your acquisitions team is handling this. What are you guys doing during this downtime and, and what is your outlook for the next few months? That's a really good question. I guess on the operational side, in terms of you know, how are our on-site managers managing the parks, managing the residents? First of all, I would say I'm just so proud of our team. And I gave a bunch of bonuses last week, just all these people just saying, thank you so much for stepping up during this time. And our managers, they're not just collecting their rent. They're serving as social workers in a lot of cases, yeah. helping residents figure out how to stay safe, helping distribute access to, you know, masks and rubbing alcohol and hand sanitizer. Yeah. Um, if people lost their jobs and can't pay rent, helping people get connected with kind of resources that they need for financial assistance. Right. So this kind of speaks to the fact that when you're in the housing business, it's more than just a paycheck. You're creating the communities where people live. And I'm really proud of how our team has stepped up to, to do that. And we've also, I think one of the ways that we operate better than some of the mom and pops is all of our rent collection is automated. We use Rent Manager as our kind of software okay. backend. Yeah. And we actually don't collect, we do not accept any paper checks or any money orders or any cash at any of our locations. Wow. So rent collection has been pretty much not impacted. Yeah. People either people either pay you know, online if they have bank accounts, or for our residents who don't have bank accounts, some of the workforce folks who you know operate with cash, they can pay at Walmart or any other location that is a bill pay center, and it hits their their rent account right away. So operationally, I think we're in a good place. Yeah. Uh, on the acquisition side, we're still out there looking for deals. Okay. It's harder. <laughs> like this is the logistics of yeah. you know traveling to see a deal are pretty tough right now. Right. But we're out there looking for deals, and I would say so far. We have not seen any adjustment in pricing Neither in mobile home parks since Corona started. Neither have we. Um, We've got a guy that he was hard at six million. We are almost under contract with him. We waited. We were going to sign the offer. Mm-hmm. Didn't. And my partner, actually, it's Michael Young on that purchase, really wants a big discount. And I said, hey, unless May is really dismal as far as collections. I don't think we're going to get a discount. And Grant Cardone said this the other day. He said, look, it's not going to be this year. I mean, people are going to suffer. They're going to struggle. It might be this year, but it might be six to 12 months before we really find out who's struggling and who really needs to sell because they're going to run out of their working capital and, and maybe they're in a place that has more job loss than other. And I don't think it's going to be immediate, but I think there's definitely going to be some people that were hurt that will need to sell maybe later this year, if not early next year. I think that's right. And, and I think the valuation of an asset depends on that specific asset's performance. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking at a strip mall right now where none of the tenants were able to pay rent in April, yeah, yeah I believe the valuation of that strip mall should be discounted significantly because of coronavirus. Right. On our assets, rent still, rent, people are still paying rent. Yeah. And from a capital markets perspective, I think a lot of investors out there who are looking for safe assets right now as we potentially head into a recession, and people who are not putting money in retail or hospitality or other asset classes are looking for safety and are looking yeah. for assets like class B and class C multifamily and mobile home parks. 
so far we've seen no adjustment in pricing and I think we'll see what the future holds. Yep. I, I'm curious. I think it may hurt us. I think recession proof or recession proof I'm reading my, my email. I think the uh, coronavirus could really hurt the apartment as far as making things maybe more expensive because people are getting out of asset class. My example is um, the seller for the Cincinnati deal. He was getting out of multifamily to get into triple net leasing. Mm-hmm. And we jokingly emailed him a week ago, said, Hey buddy, are you sure you still want to sell? Because it's not a great asset class to own right now. Those triple net leases are struggling. Those small businesses can't pay rent. So I think you're right. I think actually it could get worse as far as an affordability and competition standpoint for mobile home parks and multifamily assets. But I think maybe it won't because I know there's a lot of investors that are scared right now and they're saying we're not going to buy anything for six to 12 months until we see how this plays out. So I'm curious, but I think people will realize very quickly that multifamily mobile home parks included was the safest as- asset class to own during the coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, shutdown. So yeah, I'm not sure what's yeah. going to happen, but hey, we're running up on our time. Anything else you'd want to, you've got so much knowledge. You've worked at a diplomat. You went to Yale. There's some there's really cool uh, working at McKinsey and company, really cool parts of your career that we didn't get to talk about, but anything else that you'd like to add about yourself? Do you have a family? What gets you up in the morning? I know I just rapid fired a bunch of questions at you, but I'll wrap yourself up and your company up and tell us our listeners a couple last things about yourself. Yeah, I will, I'll turn this into an exhortation to your listeners, a call to action if I could. I'm someone who has been very fortunate, very blessed to, I worked in the corporate world for a while and then I saw the opportunity in real estate investing to do something that I really believe in, that really mm-hmm. creates good in the world, but that also generates long-term wealth for my investors and for myself. And I feel totally fortunate that I found this sweet spot where I got to be an entrepreneur doing something socially positive and that also makes money. And I would just, you know, encourage your listeners, anyone who's listening to this podcast to think about your life, think about your values and think about, you know, how you can find that same alignment between what you believe in and what you want to see in the world and where you put your money. And that doesn't mean that everyone's going to jump off and be an entrepreneur. That's That's not realistic for everybody. But I would say in your personal investing activities, Think about where do you want to put your dollars? What do you really want to support? And right now during Corona, if you think about your consumption and where you're spending your dollars for, mm-hmm. you know, food or gas or anything else, I'd encourage you to do that in alignment with your values and you support those local businesses who really right. need you right now. I love it. I love it. And, and we didn't really talk about your personal life, but I did want to ask you, do you have a family? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> the most important thing in my life, without a doubt. Awesome. I've got an amazing wife. I've got a four-year-old daughter and I actually just had a, son who was born about seven weeks ago oh congrats. right before the corona shutdown happened um, thank you i feel blessed and like i said I, my grandfather was gone into mobile home parks about 40 years ago so it's been a part of this kind of generational thing and i still will speak to my aunt or my grandfather as an informal board of advisors because very cool you know when, when you've got 40 years of experience it's hard to replace that that's so neat that's so neat we have the same age gap i have a six-year-old daughter and a six and a half-year-old daughter two and a half-year-old boy Oh, wow. And they're a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun. But guess what? They go on appointments with me. I sell real estate and I have rentals that I manage myself here in, here in Utah. And I've got one that's going to be a rental for Heidi to manage. If she wants her college paid for, it's paid for, but she's going to have to start managing that from the time she's 13 or 14. Same thing for Liam. And wow. I, I think what I heard from you over this whole interview is 
do good by others and help your community make money buy invest in a recession proof asset class and it's very easy to do that through mobile home parks you, you just have to do it the right way and and so i love what you and your company have done i really appreciate you being on the call or on the interview what's the best way for listeners to reach out to you if they have a deal if they want to if they think they've got a deal for you to buy or if they just maybe want to work for you i would love to hear from anybody who's listening happy to discuss a deal, share some advice. If you're looking at a mobile home park, think through anything, or if you're looking to make passive investments, we definitely have opportunities for that. I think email is probably the best way. Again, my name is Daniel Weisfield. My company is Three Pillar Communities. And my email address is daniel at threepillarcommunities.com. Three is spelled out. Pillar is P-I-L-A-R communities.com. And I'll throw that in the show notes. Thanks so much, Daniel. This has been really fun. And I think you've hit the nail on the head. 